Welcome to the Female Pilot Club podcast. If you don't know us, we're a plucky band of lumpy jumpers helping female written sitcom scripts take off and fly against the almost insurmountable odds presented by the TV commissioning system. And if you do know us, we're a bunch of harpies imitating Munch's The Scream hurling Ricky Gervais DVDs off a cliff. No offence, Ricky, I could have chosen anyone. I couldn't actually. But anyway, I'm Wing Commander Kay Stonham. Co-piloting today is actor and proud mum, Emily Chase. What's the scaly brat been up to, Emily? Pooing and teething. Don't answer, Emily. Literally no one wants to know. We're here to talk about comedy. And who better to have in the passenger seat this week than Athena Kublenyu? Hello. Hello, Athena. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Captain and Co-Pilot. I really want to carry this, keep this going, but I've run out of plain lexicon already. Aye, aye. Captain. (laughs) Literally. Trolley dolly. Yeah. um, Peanuts. Peanuts. It's our branding, Athena. Don't worry. We drop it quite quickly, but, you know, we've got to do it. Our fans expect it. They don't. They don't care no, at all. Really but we like it. They don't even get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. No, for ages. I was, it took me ages. Oh, pilot. It's a pilot. <laughs> I didn't get it. For, I just thought it was just quite about taking off. And I didn't. Yeah. That, well, we do get, even get it. And now you, you like, get it. You love it, don't you? Love it. Yeah. We do get yeah. a few random followers who are actually pilots. Oh, yeah. That's, that's hilarious. For. We do. So Athena has been a panelist and writer for shows such as Mock the Week, Breaking the News, The Russell Howard Hour, Loose Ends, and Horrible Histories, as well as hosting her own podcast, Keeping Athena Company. She also has her own Radio 4 show, Athena's Cancel Culture, which is available on BBC Sounds. This summer, she's been on tour with the likes of Phil Wang, Fern Brady and Dylan Moran. So, Athena, loosen your bag, get your flight goggles off and your beer goggles on. Chin, chin, pip, pip, last one off their chocks as a hoop snogger. <laughs> Sorry. We'll just Great. <laughs> yeah. Pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> shoop, 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 so, Athena, you worked with us last year in our Mentorship Plus scheme on your terrific script, Waste Management. Yes. So, we at Female Pilot Club know all about it, but people on the home front searching desperately for more comedies by lumpy jumpers <laughs> in a sea of bunk by bashers don't know anything about it. So, can you do for them what we call a parachute pitch of your show? Yeah, I can. So, basically, it's what I call a working class version of the thick of it. And I always wanted to write about the public sector, but kind of like down below the kind of, you know, prime ministerial level. And I love the thick of it as well. It's one of my favourite shows. That is one of my favourite shows. Isn't it? It's just so great. It's easy to forget how brilliant, brilliant it was. And I guess now because it's such, it's like a documentary <laughs> rather than a comedy. But yeah. I wanted to write that, especially because that was my experience of work. Um, and that's, and I thought it'd be, everyone talks about kind of diversity in, in comedy and in art in the arts in general you don't shoehorn diversity into things you just tell stories that are naturally diverse I think and if you go into any local government office it's it's diverse because there's very little obstacles to work for a council bizarrely enough like you just you apply for your job and if you're good enough you get it it's no there's no hobnobbing really not that much there's no nepotism I mean there's a bit but there's not that much you, it's very and that results in a fairly a diverse environment because there's equal equality of opportunity so that's why I wanted it, my sitcom set in that arena because I thought well it's really easy to just be able to show all kinds of people from all walks of lives because that's what it looks like genuinely it's like Downton Abbey where they just oh we've got jazz band now okay don't make Downton Abbey just make a make a show that is naturally set in a diverse environment so that was one of my main motivations and like, like I said I worked in that environment for ages and it was hilarious I laughed every day because it was so ridiculous yeah so it was very much a case of right about what you know absolutely yeah and I knew it intimately because I worked 
I mean, I only really quit my day job at the end of 20, 2019. So I was working in, a, in and amongst that arena for you know, over a decade. So I knew wow. it well. So which character were you? Not the one I wanted to play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I actually, yeah, I wrote, I, I mean, a big tip if you're stand up and you write a sitcom is to write a role for yourself. Mm. Mm, I mean, strategically, the commissioning environment is just, is just about writing performers now. Sadly, I think, because there are wonderful writers out there who aren't performers. Um, and, you know, I'm not a great actor. That's why the character had to be me because that's the only role I can play <laughs> um but yeah I, I, I just wrote uh, the, uh, but I didn't make, make my, I didn't make that character the lead character I wrote uh, a character who was fairly sarcastic a bit bitter um a bit fed up sarcastic. yeah 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 very sarcastic a bit bitter a bit annoyed but I, I didn't want to make her the lead to respect the fact that I'm not a trained actor but I I wrote a role for myself but because I wanted I, a lot of the things that happen in the sitcom don't, didn't happen in real life, but at the same time, they're connected to experiences that I know. Um, and I think, give it that realism, if that makes yeah, sense. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Having any, a character like that is so relatable. Yeah. You know, immediately there's going to be so many audience members who completely understand them. Yeah, and I, I wanted some, I wanted an avatar for the audience. Mm -hmm. You know, someone to think what the audience is thinking. So that's what my character is like. Everyone's looking at this and thinking this is ridiculous. And that's what that character's doing. Yeah. I mean, you've answered about Five questions. <laughs> You've got already just in that one. So that's yeah. brilliant. But I mean, we loved it. We really liked it. And one of the reasons that we liked it was because it was like a really great workplace comedy. Mm. And we love workplace comedies. I, I grew up on them. I love them, right? And I don't think we get that many of them now. But did you have a favourite workplace comedy? Um, and, and did you have one growing up? Well, I'll give you two. I like Drop the Dead Donkey which is right, like a good. straight up classic oh, one and, of my favorites yeah and like Frasier isn't technically a workplace comedy but he's at work a lot of the time so true. you yeah, know true. I really enjoyed Frasier I mean is Cheers a workplace comedy I guess it is too it is yeah because it's a it bar is, I suppose it's isn't it set yeah. in the bar but I would say Drop the Dead Donkey is one of my most favorite ones that was always great interesting you bring that one up I bet not not that many people remember that now do you remember that one I remember it. You do, yeah. Just, it's, yeah. Not many people talk about it now, do they? Yeah. But it was really popular at the time, I mean, wasn't it? One of the first Channel 4 comedies, One of the first ones. There's a lot of sort of sitcoms from the kind of 90s. People that we talk about men behaving badly anymore. No. You know, they, they, they were kind of like the biggest shows that you could have had in the 90s. Mm. And they've kind of just kind of, they've gone out of fashion. I think because they were proper sitcoms. And yeah. other than not going out, we don't really make proper sitcoms anymore. You know, that studio... Yeah. Although I don't think was it a studio? It was, no, it wasn't a studio, was it? Um, but you know that kind of traditional, well, traditional format. Yeah, it? it's yeah. all comedy drama now and all that stuff, which is fine. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, isn't there? That we don't have proper old-fashioned British sitcoms anymore. And it's quite interesting because I thought of your sitcom as it struck me as quite a classic British sitcom. Lots of t about class and that kind of stuff, which I really enjoyed. Did you think of it like that or? I wasn't thinking of like a classic British sitcom, but having, I was basically trained by the BBC, you know, like I'd done a, a comedy room course. If you know what that is, it's just like they get ran, 12 randoms in a room and they teach you how to write comedy. Then I did the Felix Dexter bursary where they get one random in a room and they teach you <laughs> about comedy. So my, my, my writing training, other than my self-study, is very traditional. So that probably reflects that. I wanted to write a sitcom. That's what I wanted. And that's what all my pilots are. They're all sitcoms. Yeah. Because that's what I like to write. And that's what I like to watch. Like Derry Girls is a sitcom. Mm. You know, mm -hmm, sure. every episode ends and they're back at the beginning and again. And they're all idiots, you know, <laughs> and it's all senseless. But the undercurrent of it is a lot of truth. So, you know, that's what I enjoy. So that's what I write. I mean, for people who may not be 
that experience as writers. Can you just explain what you mean by that, by like, it is a sitcom and they all end up back at the beginning again? Yeah, so all, all sitcoms, and Americans do this really well, um, and we kind of moved on from that, but Americans still do it. it. All sitcoms kind of follow a formula because it is basically an art form, and all mm. art has a formula, and the formula of sitcoms is, uh, one of the things is every episode ends right where it starts. So you start each episode at the beginning, you know, characters never learn, all characters are captive. You know, in Friends, they can't move out of the flat. In Frasier, he stopped his dad. He has to care for him. In Keeping Up Appearances, they are married and that's it. And he can't get a divorce. In Only Fools of Horses, they never win. And when they win, the show dies. And that's why the conceit of your sitcom is so important. It has to be a conceit that we always want to start from zone one again. That doesn't mean there can't be travel within that. So like, I hate talking about Friends because it's, but it's such a great example of travel. Mm. Like the wall they won't they with with Monica and, and Rachel, not Monica and Rachel, Monica and, not Monica, Rachel and Ross. Rachel and Ross. Rachel and Ross, I'm getting my friends' characters mixed up. Yes, yeah, you know, so they have evolution throughout the series, but it's, it's nothing changes at the same time. So you can sort of travel within that, but nothing changes. And when you, I feel bad talking about this because it will ruin all your favourite sitcoms for you now because <laughs> you'll just <laughs> see the formula. You won't see like the art oh, and oh, I'm enjoying this. You'll be like, oh, okay, that's the antagonist. Um, but please don't be, uh, don't, don't stop enjoying what you like because now you know it's all rules. It's all a formula. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because like I teach screenwriting. Yeah. So um, I do, I do teach all that stuff and lots of people really love it. And from what the way you're talking, it sounds like you really like the, the feeling of that there are those rules and those sort of conventions that you follow. But a lot of people actually don't like it and find them quite formulaic. So am I right in thinking that you, you see the benefit of those? And if so, what is the benefit? All, all, all scripted work has rules. If you make an action movie, it has a rule. <laughs> there are rules you have to follow, I and mean, when those rules aren't followed, the, the movie tends to be t- quite bad. And same with it's the same as scripted comedy, or even comedy dramas have rules. So if you don't want to write a sitcom, what you do write will still have rules. It, it, it's not unique to sitcom. Don't find them restrictive at all. I think that when they're done well, they create really good shows. That's why if you think about every sitcom that you love it works because it follows the rules really well but I think what people get wrong is they think these rules are restrictive they're boring they keep me in a cage but you have to understand the rules to break them if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it's a bit like Picasso could make great portraits but what do you know him for you don't know him for his fact he painted a bowl of fruit you know him for the stuff that he subverts so you can't you can't write a great sitcom until you understand what a basic sitcom is so those rules are like the building blocks for like your your comedy and your end and creating something that's brilliant and that's why I and the way my brain works is I like having those rules anyway because that's how I do my vomit draft you know but there, there are certain vomit draft someone used this term for me or gave me this term I thought it was great just sort of get something on the page just bleh, there's my script and then you can kind of like refine which is quite important for procrastinators like myself uh, I just get it done and get it right you know that kind of attitude um and formulas are great for that because it just it just keeps you writing um and then you can revisit them but I wouldn't find don't be afraid of a formula because when you start to analyze everything you love there's a formula there and I guess as well if you're using the formula with something like waste management which was an environment that you were extremely familiar with anyway yeah it wasn't like you were going into something too unfamiliar it wasn't but also I would I would say to you like what have you read that's like waste management I don't see anything like that out there so even though it follows a formula it's like a kind of a bit of a village they're all captive uh, they're all idiots uh, they never learn 
you know, I've never seen any, I haven't, well, it's like Parks and Rec, actually. <laughs> it's like Parks and Recreation, if I'm honest, which, but it's, you know, it's particularly in the UK environment. So formula doesn't mean unoriginal. Mm. It, it just means you understand your art. Mm. Yeah. So really formula, what you're saying is that you've got to understand the formula in order to write a, a well-crafted sitcom, but you've got to bring your own, something very personal of your own or something very uh, original yeah you know, I think yeah. so and I think you can un- and then you can challenge the formula so like again one of my I've said this already one of my favorite sitcoms is, is Frasier and that's interesting because none of the characters are quite likable so that's not the ca- that's not the rule for sitcoms right you're supposed to have someone that you like um so there's that's quite a nice there were always all like Kirby enthusiasm you know when you think about it, it doesn't really follow any rules but at the same time that's very much a sitcom um but there it sticks to enough of the rules to get away with it but it breaks enough of the rules to be brilliant yeah so same but different in a way is yeah, what you're yeah. Looking for, that is the it? that is a better way to say what's taking mm. me about 10 minutes <laughs> to say you can just cut all that out and just say oh, that you know yeah. that is just so useful for for newer writers yeah. or people who want to write to hear because I think especially like I said you know when, I, when I'm teaching people are so worried and shy and afraid of of structure yeah, of knowing of knowing rules because exactly as you said, they they think it's going to make their stuff boring and formulaic and samey. But you've articulated brilliantly why it's not that. It's not rules; it's craft. I would say to anyone, any of your pupils that give you shit about the rules, excuse the language, say to them, watch Kimmy Schmidt, right? Which is the most balmy sitcom we ever. It's balmy. It, it follows no rules are broken in that sitcom, and it's balmy. It's completely <laughs> bonkers, but yeah. it's literally every. If you had a checklist for what a sitcom is, that is it has it perfect. Yeah, and the Good Place as well. Another one. It's balmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follows all. In fact, all the best American ones follow all the rules. Community. Follows they all the do rules. actually. Yeah. I think that's really true, and yet they seem really innovative, which is which is yeah. great. Superstore. So. Sorry, I'm just reading them off now, but again, Up Superstore. Yeah. Another great workplace sitcom. Perfect. Yeah, and follows. Every single rule. It's like a compact little bit. You don't have to watch any, you don't have to have seen any episode of Superstore to just go into it and watch the episode and enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to say, I'm so sorry Abigail Bodez is not here because Superstore is one of her favourite sitcoms uh, and she always goes on about it. Um, so she would just love to be bigging it up. <laughs> she does love it. Abby, if you're listening. So I just wonder, could you tell us a bit about your experience of working with Female Pilot Club when you did come and do our mentorship scheme? It was really phenomenal, actually. I've kind of, I sort of came with a script that was fine and it was okay. Um, But I've never really written with anybody before. I've always been a bit of a lone ranger just in my house, spashing away and sending scripts off and people saying, well, this is nice. Um, And then not giving me any work or not commissioning it. So it was really good to kind of pull something apart that I was really proud of and, and sort of, put it back together again which is what I did with the script actually and it, it changed it was a mockumentary it went into like a more traditional sitcom which was better mockumentaries have so many rules you can't go back in time you know it's very linear um I, I love I love mockumentaries but it can be really easy just to make like you know oh I need a joke here or I'll just do a cutaway where a character's a bit silly and I'll come back again and, and that's fine but I'm a stand-up comedian I want to write a joke mm. you know I just don't want to have a character like you know, and also some of the best sitcoms have been mockumentaries. So Parts of Recreation was a mockumentary mm. in the office, mm-hmm. obviously. And like the big ones in the UK, like 2012 and W1A and all that. So I thought, I don't want to re- make those shows, actually. Uh, um, so having not really collaborated that intensely with anyone like that before, it was just amazing. I was like, oh, I, you know, an- another brain is, is way more beneficial 
uh, when I'm working on something. Just like getting this. another perspective on it. Yeah, and, and that interrogation. Why are you doing this? Why I don't understand, or I don't get this joke as well. Sometimes you know, especially this comes from having a stand-up background. Your humor can be quite peculiar, um, and that works on stage because then if someone doesn't get your joke, you can do like, just ref- make a joke of the fact they don't get it. Whereas on the page, it just looks mm. ridiculous. Um, mm. So having that interrogation was really great. And so did you, what happened off the back of it? Did you get any more interest in waste management? Hopefully you did. Yeah, I got, actually, I got more interest in other scripts, actually. Um, What you said earlier about not seeing many workplace sitcoms around, there's a reason for that. Like, people just don't want them at the moment. We have a really weird commissioning environment in this country where there's a kind of a united front. I mean, I'm just going to make this assumption. I'm not in those circles, but there's a united front amongst all the commissioners where they kind of are we're, we're in the market for x y and z mm-hmm. and if your sitcom isn't x y or z then it doesn't matter if, if it's brilliant or great or okay it's just not their cup of tea there's also a strange thing where if one or two shows are made and it's in a certain arena no one wants to make another show that might be in that arena so we're in a really weird environment where it's not how great you write it's about what you're writing and I think that it's a shame that I didn't write Waste Management, you know, 10 years ago. But then if I'd written it 10 years ago, it would have been terrible, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but what it has done is it has gotten me lots of writing work in the industry. So that's all I do. I just make other I work on other people's projects it's 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 was a good spec script. I would suggest now it is a very good spec script and it it sells me as a writer. Um, mm. But I have, I am kind of sorry to say I don't feel like it's ever going to happen at this stage, sadly. So have other things going on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if it's worked as a spec script, it's done its it's done its job in a way, hasn't it? Because it's got you work, and you've as you've said, you've learned as a as a writer by doing it. Other scripts will come along, other ideas will come along, won't they? Which you know you'll be able to move on from that. But who knows, in another five years, suddenly everyone might be looking for workplace comedies. So these things don't they go away, right do they? Sometimes. They can come back yeah. around. And the, th- the thing is, it's not about the workplace. It's about the people. Like, yeah. It's sort of like, you don't. Ha- it's not really about working in a council office in the same way that in the thick of it was about working in politics. It's really just about humans and yeah. how they respond to adversity and, and what their flaws are and how their flaws impact their decision making. Mm. Um, that's what it's, it's about. about how you get through the day isn't it yeah Which everyone can absolutely relate to. Yeah. it is but as you said it's the way that the commissioners think isn't it that they categorize things in certain ways oh it's a historical comedy mm. oh it's a workplace comedy oh it's a family sitcom do you know what I mean they put them in boxes don't they yeah. so I think that that's that's where hopefully fashions change and then things which weren't suddenly in fashion come back again I would suggest it's not an identity-based sitcom it's not about, oh, I'm a black person in office. People are being really horrible to me. Like, it's, mm-hmm. the, you know, it's, it's a diverse environment, mm. but diversity isn't the subject. And, you know, like... It's, Which is as it should be. It's exactly as it should be. But um, this isn't really to criticise anyone that is making work that way. But it's very difficult to be a sort of a black auteur in this country and not mm. make your experience as a black person sort of central to your script. Mm. And... I have a, I think I may have told the story already, but I might as well tell it here. I've had one organization read that script and my name was on the script and the feedback from that script was like, oh, not, not really any good, really. And then I sent that same script to the same organization, obviously read by different people. It was read blindly. They didn't know I wrote it. 
and literally could not have had more praise heaped upon it. Okay, so I would suggest to you that the person who knew I wrote it was like, this isn't about fried chicken, put it in the bin. But the person who, when people read it and they didn't know it was me, it was like they could detach themselves from that expectation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had had enough experience in this industry now to know Mm. that, you know, that's not an unreasonable conclusion to get to. And I think, you know, minority writers or writers from the global majority, we have to, we have to walk that line. Like we know Mm. if we write identity-based work, people will chew our hands off for it yet if we write a contemplation on brexit people will be like oh, why you know we've we've got people who can do this well you know what you know why aren't mm-hmm. you doing something else and it's about that line and i my philosophy is my bills are paid so i'm not gonna you know i don't really need to give you that because i'm doing mm. all right but mm-hmm. it, you know would it be um would people be thirstier for it if it was like a little bit like oh my god white people are just so awful <laughs> like I'm, I'm not here to make the, what, the industry feel better about itself mm, or whatever yeah, but yeah. at the same time I know if I wrote that I think it's fair to say that would probably be better received mm. but having said that art like that needs to exist as well like we need to have those conversations mm, for me totally. personally when, when I read it it just it really reminded me of when I had a really bad job in a call center yeah and it was honestly I just read it and that's what it made me think of and that's why I loved it because I could immediately relate to it and all the characters and everything that they were going through it wasn't about anything other than just understanding that kind of day-to-day living and that's what you know really draws audiences in I think oh, when they yeah. can understand I'm glad it. you say that because generally in comedy whether it's stand-up or or sitcom writing I am looking for commonality of experience you know mm. I don't like to suggest that my life is massively different to people because of who I am but I, I like to talk about why it's different in places mm. but generally we all get up in the morning mm. have a poo rush our teeth <laughs> go to work you know and within yeah. within that environment within that day all kind of things mm. happen that are related to who we are and, and and how that affects us politically and socially and economically mm. but then there's lots of things that happen to us that I mean I was I'm writing on a cartoon with, with somebody and it's a white writer and the, she's working with a Nigerian person who kind of like is the showrunner, I guess you could call it. And I'm just doing a bit of like punching up on the script and we were having a little meeting. She said, oh, and there's a scene in it in which the girl wakes up and has a morning routine with her mum. And she, this person was like, oh, can you help me make it more Nigerian? And I'm like, what do you think people do? Like, <laughs> it's like, we just, it's like, A, I'm not Nigerian. I mean, I can talk about Nigerian culture <laughs> as it happens, but like, it's, I don't know what to say. It's a mother and daughter. Like, mm. I know what you're saying. I know what you're asking for. But it's this, and I said, it's going to be in a maison set. It's going to be in what they eat. It's going to be in the decoration of the house. It's going to be what they wear. But get out of bed, you're going to be late for school. Like, that's the universal, yeah. there's no Nigerian way to say this. <laughs> Help me with the washing. Um, so kind of when, and when you, people hear that, they go, oh yeah, of course. But we're so not used to having that conversation. And that's in the art we create. We're used to creating. And that's why American comedy is so great. You know, they could never make Insecure here. They wouldn't let you. They would have, Issa Rae running around going oh I'm black no she's a woman and she has all these issues with men like that's the story mm-hmm. you know and there are th- and there is within that there's a conversation about like how race affects her but it's very much a B story mm-hmm. you know and I think that's real liberation being able mm-hmm. to being able to write whatever you want whatever you want and I mm. I can do that that's what I do for a living but I do think it is impacting how my work is being received absolutely I mean, I'd like to say I'm shocked and surprised by what you said, but obviously I'm not. To be anything other than a white middle-class man is is still tricky. It shouldn't be, but it kind of is. I think tricky. it's tricky to have full kind of control over what you write, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I I don't want that to sound off-putting. Like I said, like, this is all I do. I just write and perform comedy. Do I have made a decision 
probably deliberately and probably to my detriment to kind of not being interested in those kind of narratives. Mm -hmm. I, just to reiterate, those narratives need to exist. They always need to be told. Mm. But my forte is 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 some in a different space, mm. and mm. I think that I I think that's okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, a better decision in the long term, I would have thought. Well, look, I do a lot of political comedy now, you know, I'm in a lot of rooms where, you know, it's, you know, I just, I'm just there and I'm writing and I think that there is an issue, if, if all of your writing is 100% you and where you come from, mm -hmm. it's very difficult for someone else to be like, oh, can you work on this project? Because they haven't seen you divorce yourself from a particular mm. style, so it's been a really good USP for me that you can kind of put mm. me in any room, exactly. and I can and I can kind of contribute, and that is one of the ways in which you can be a very successful creator, I think. But then you have to really interrogate that success and what it means. So if you look at someone like Steve McQueen, he can make whatever he wants. Um, he, you know, when he made *Toys a Slave*, you could have made another <laughs> that narrative, but he didn't. You know, he made um, what's that one about the murders uh, with? Um, Oh yeah, it's a Davies. Um, yeah, it's a remake of Widows, yeah, Widows isn't it? Which yeah, was a British. Widows, yeah. Is it actually called Widows? As they yeah. called it Widows. Yeah. So, like you know, that's really important. Um, you know, the guy he made Get Out again. He made um, Us, which is like obviously like nothing to do with me. So it's it's really important, mm -hmm. I think, to say, hold on a minute. Like I have stories to tell outside of telling you uh, outside mm -hmm. of, in my case, like black suffering or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So I think as a creative, it's it's important to remember that you sh you are in a shop window. And in order for people to stick you into places, they need to demonstrate that you can do other things. And maybe they, maybe, maybe subconsciously, the industry encourages people to paint themselves into that, to put themselves into that cul-de-sac. Mm. So they say, oh no, we can't, we can't have you write for Have I Got News For You. You only write jokes about mm. X, you know, and then they've only done that because that's how they get their bills paid. That's mm. not about the capability, it's just about what they get, yeah. you know, what they're able to get made. So sometimes just be proactive about that but yeah like writers can write about anything so for series two of the female pilot club podcast we have a sponsor it's blue cat screenplay competition who for over 25 years have been discovering and developing storytellers with their annual screenplay competition it was founded by a writer who has a passion for discovering new talent. Just like us at Female Pilot Club. Indeed. Now, Blue Cat has always hosted a blind competition. So everyone's in blindfolds. No, that will be ridiculous, Emily. What it means is that no demographic data is shared, which ensures that winners are chosen based solely on their scripts and nothing else. Okay, that seems fair. So what kind of scripts do they want? Well, they want feature films, they want TV pilots, and they want shorts. And the great thing is that readers ensure each submission receives constructive feedback. So you definitely know that your script's been read and you can improve your script after the competition. So what do you get if you win it? Well, you get cash, first and foremost, but also winners and finalists have been signed by talent agencies like UTA, CAA and WME, and they sold their work to major studios. So if you're keen to hear more, head to bluecatscreenplay.com to learn about their upcoming competition. Shoop, 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 you're now writing on a lot of other people's shows, aren't you? You have done like, uh, I've got down Frankie Boyle, mm. Sketchtopia, Horrible Histories, etc. etc. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of writers would like to get into those rooms. So for writers who maybe aren't getting into those rooms, what advice? I would say, I mean, I'm going to be really, really honest and say it is so much not about what you know, but who you know. I'm so sorry to say that. It's horrible. But the reason I got into those rooms is because somebody in those rooms knew me. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is they knew me through just a lot of graft. I mean, like I said yes to everything. 
um mm. you know nobody wants to write for news quiz for 80 quid <laughs> you know and for two <laughs> days writing that and that's literally what you got back in the day than mm-hmm. what i do now and but i said yes to that um mm. so i did a lot of a lot of stuff for radio 4 for a lot of money um which is mm-hmm. a, a, you know nobody makes more comedy than radio 4 though so it's such a good environment to 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 be involved in and i wrote a lot and i you know my scripts are flying around they just go in everyone's inbox and do you um, think your your stand-up helped with yes, that? Yes, massively. Again, perhaps it's a real shame that the industry is always looking for writers from the stand-up community. I don't think anyone should have to go to Stockton, you know, to, for 50 quid to perform for 20 minutes regularly uh, just to become a writer. I wouldn't recommend it. But at the same time, and no offence, only from Stockton, it's lovely. You know, it's a real shame that the industry is looking for its writers from the stand-up community mm-hmm. when there were so many writers out there who don't want to be a stand-up. But I will concede that being an active stand-up does help you in terms of getting attention and being able to have somebody to send your script to. We had Georgia Pritchett, didn't we, on the on the podcast, and she spoke about that quite a lot because she doesn't uh, do any performing of any kind. I mean, a lot of you're a stand-up. I was an actress. Lots of people are performers in some ways, aren't they, who are writers. But she didn't do anything, and she said she thought that put her in a quite a, a difficult space and quite a difficult bracket. It's unfair. It's totally unfair. But it's one of the reasons why I'm really dedicated to the idea of craft. Like I don't want. Mm. I'm not suggesting that stand-ups who do sitcoms like aren't as good. Like of course they're as good. But I do have an advantage. So I'd, if I ever make anything, and if you know, if I ever get to sh- be a showrunner or creator of my own thing, I would like that thing to just be like brilliant. Like I feel like I owe that to the to the craft. <laughs> you know, I'm not here just because I I just poured all my money into Edinburgh. Like I have written something really really that I'm really proud of too. Yeah, you've paid your dues, really, in that sense, haven't you? Yeah, comedy dues. I hope so, and I I would suggest everyone has comedy commissioners find a way to find writers who aren't on the circuit as well as ones who are. And also, like, I get sent a lot of scripts that are okay, and I get told to like make them better or whatever. Like, but you'd be surprised how many scripts are from people who don't perform and they're already better. I have to make it better because you've gotten this from someone who isn't a writer, and they will be a writer eventually. Mm. But you you're paying me to basically like. Mm finish off you know tidy tidy it up well mm-hmm. there's people there doing tidy work you know because mm-hmm. they're writers proper, yeah. you know and and so there's something to be said about um there's a lot of assistance out there for performers who have a, an okay script you know and why isn't that assistance out there for people who aren't performers yeah it's a really good point um and you in fact mentor people as well don't you uh, yeah i do a bit more stand up um but I, 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 I informally like now I've gotten so much experience I do chat to people about their work um because I feel like it's a nice thing to do and like I know the secret guys I know the formula so yeah. come on come on there's a secret to it there's a secret to it and yeah so I have informal chats with people in my circle and friends who want to get into scripted yeah and do you still enjoy the writing for stand-up as much as you like the writing for scripted stuff yeah very much so I feel very very lucky to be able to kind of sort of do both like I love stand-up so much you know and it's given me so much and I'm you know I can't profess to have you know there's so much more to achieve in in the game like I can walk down the street and I haven't got people going oh my god I saw you on tv whatever so it's you know there's still a lot for me to achieve but I feel very grateful that I can go out and mix with like really amazing people and just do do a job on stage and then spend the next week at home you know not getting in the car and writing uh that's a real mm. privilege especially I've got little kids so I can really work flexibly mm. around them um, so I, I love I love doing both if I'm honest. Did you find your like your um, attitude towards writing and stand ups changed when you had your kids at all, or did it change yes, your writing? Yes, it changed in that I need to I need to write more quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I need to write far more quickly. I only have a, I mean I only had one and she would nap 
you know, between sort of two and five, which is a very long nap time. If you don't have children, that's like amazing. But three hours in a 24 hour window to do everything you need to do is just like, you know, you got to, it's not a vomit draft, it's a, it will do draft. I sort of did a couple of things for the BBC Writers Room and I spoke to some of the writers they had for their last one. And I said, you might have a script, it might be great, but if you want to make a living, write for other people. It's that you have a very low chance of success with your pilot. Most pilots mm-hmm. don't get made, as we know. I mean, most of them don't get commissioned. Of course, most yeah. of them don't get slated, you know. So how do you make a living? And that is writing for other people. So that's, and we don't always aspire to that, which is crazy because it's just the best. It's so great. Like mm-hmm. I get, you know, having your name on, on, honestly, I mean, it sounds a bit silly, but there's sometimes there are, are, are points in a year where on TV or radio, my name is on the credits for something. Mm. every week you know whether it's dead ringers or news quiz or russell howard or or holby histories or some other children jojo and grand grand that's crazy right like every so there's something with my name on it going out to the nation so that's an aspiration too if you if you want to be a writer it's not all about your own script which you love it's about other things too Again, I think that's such terrific advice because yeah. I think a lot of people don't think of that. They don't. Yeah, they just don't know enough about so that much kind writing. of writing, do they? There's so much writing work out there. Mm. There's so much. Yeah. Um, and you get it through sending your writing out there. And then people are like, well, we like this. Come and write on this. And then you say, oh, I will, but do you want to commission it? And I'll say, no, <laughs> come and write on this. And, you know, but, you know, you, you get paid for writing on things. You don't get paid for no's. You know? Exactly. Yeah, great advice. So just uh, going back to the writer's rooms a bit, because you were just talking about them. What's it like once you're in there? Because I think, again, a lot of people won't have that experience of being in a writer's room. How did you find the experience of being in there? Yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot of COVID. A lot of it's remote now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is now send us like, two pages of stuff and we'll take what we like. It's about like, getting an inter- interview for a job. When you apply for a job and you get an interview, they want to give you the job. The interview is you talking them out of it. And same in the writer's room, like you, you are wanted there. So just don't talk yourself out of it. Like just believe in yourself. You're there because your brain works in a way that they like. Um, and just like sometimes the great thing about writer's rooms is you don't have to come with punchlines. You can come with setups and then someone else is going to finish a punchline. And that's the purpose of the room. It's collaborative. So you don't have to have the weight of responsibility on your shoulders to like come out with like, you know, whether you're writing a series arc, whether it's topical, you need, you need to get 10 jokes about Boris Johnson, whether, you know, whatever the outcome that is is required of the day, that's not on your shoulders. It's on the shoulders of the whole room and somebody leads that room. Um, and slightly, I mean, some people might not agree with this, but like, don't be afraid to interrupt as well, especially particularly as a woman, because some people do like to talk, you know, and <laughs> like, I like personally, if I look at my watch and like I'm seeing the minutes pass, I'd be like, interrupt, man. Like, you know, like don't just be really like consciously interrupt. Don't just do it like, oh, I just did it take you a while to, to get? Um, yes, but something I have that to my advantage is that my attention span is so short. It's just <laughs> unbelievably short. I just tolerate, I have a very low tolerance for just like unproductive time if someone is saying something and they're going on and it's not productive I have no qualms with with dealing with that situation because my brain can't stand it it means it makes me confident because I'm like if I interrupt this my brain will be at peace after <laughs> we can all move on <laughs> self-defense yeah, really yeah, yeah 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 it is but it, it's important and also the other thing as well is that and I think all creatives can relate to the fact that you might have a thought in your brain it will disappear and then mm. it's gone forever. So even if you write it down or you just get it out, like you can say, look, I just have to say this before I forget. That's okay. And people understand it. 
but yeah conscious interruption and interrupting is important but um every writer's room is different mm-hmm. every one of those shows you mention has a completely different process as well so and don't be afraid before if it's your first time don't be afraid to just ask like oh can can you let me know what what the format is for the day sometimes it's just conversation and you have to go away and then write you know so you do the now show you just chat for like three hours like, yeah. and then you have to go away and write jokes and my first of the now show I just bombed because I was like we were just talking about the news and then everyone went bye and they just got up and left the room and I was like where's everyone <laughs> where's everyone? Like, <laughs> that's you know, it yeah no one yeah. had told when's the comedy writing happen? no one had told me oh we do this and then we expect this then he gave me an mm. email address to like send it to there was just but there was an assumption that someone would have done it yeah and you know when it comes to like these long running shows they run like clockwork so you have to be really proactive and just ask 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 yeah, because I didn't do that because I was super shy in them days. It was, it was a long time ago now. And I was just so happy to be there. And then it's only now I reflect. And I should have been like, I didn't know what I was doing. I should have said, no one has told me what I'm doing. Please tell mm. me what I'm doing. Mm. It sounds like you've had a really positive experience because I know that a lot of a lot of women, particularly in writers' rooms in the past, haven't really felt that positive, welcoming feeling being in writers' rooms. But it sounds like you've just found it absolutely fine, which is which is great news. Yeah. Seems like things have moved on. I think, I wouldn't say things have moved on, but I, I have found that okay. Some things I'm rude, then I'm rude. You know, like, I, and I think people shouldn't have to have that personality. Um, so I'm still often a minority in sort of gender and, and ethnic background in rooms. That's still a problem. So there's still lots of issues, but I have to say my experience has been good because ultimately in comedy, it's so hard to make people laugh. It's so hard. So if you can make someone laugh, that's undeniable. You know, there's no, nobody can say we're not putting it in. No one deletes a joke. As long as you deliver, then no mm. one, it's, it's undeniable. And that's why comedy is a really equal space or not equal space. It's one of the more equal spaces because if you're funny, that's the end of it. It's, it's like gold, isn't it? Obviously, listening to you with all of this, you are a proper multitasker. Mm-hmm. How do you find the time to do stand-up tools, writing and your radio show and have a nice and balanced home life? Childcare. <laughs> yeah. Well, it feels like I work to pay for childcare now, if I'm honest. Um, so childcare, which is, as you know, everyone knows, it's incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. Another, another reason why I'm a bit of a mercenary and I, I write on so much stuff. Because um, you've got to make money. Uh, childcare. Google Calendar, and I say no to things, sadly. I've said no to all sorts because it doesn't work for me. I think you do that more when you have less time since being a mum. I've definitely said no to things I wouldn't have done before. Yes, you do. And because it's your kid, you're your priority. And, you know, you have to manage what you're going to get out of something versus Mm. what it's going to cost you in terms of being with your children and the childcare it's going to cost and things like that. Um, And, you know, I don't perform stand-up as much as people think, probably about I mean, I'm, I'm probably out about three nights a month now. This is not a lot. Um, I'm blessed to be able to do quite nice gigs. So in the, the amount of people I perform to three times a month is probably the equivalent number of people if I was doing it 20 times, but to like pubs. <laughs> so mm-hmm. maybe it's not such a big deal. Yeah, I say no to things. I guess my work is more quality rather than quantity now. Again, yeah. which I'm very lucky to be able to do. Um, but as a, well, you do have to step up your game when you become a parent. I think if you're creative, sadly... You've got to really be ambitious. You've got to, and you, ambition can be a very difficult thing to have because it's scary. It's scary to say, I want someone to make my sitcom. Mm. It's really scary, but I want that because it'd be really handy for my, my parenting schedule. <laughs> and have you got anything you're writing now? Anything that, you know, anything we, we might get to do on Female Pilot Club? I mean, yeah. I mean, I've written, a, I've got four pilots now. 
Wow. Yeah, um, but I'm good. Yeah, no one's making them, so it doesn't matter. But Bring them in. But I've got, I've got actually writing another one, and I was chatting to a friend of mine about again, write what you know. I used to teach people how to ride bikes. I love riding bikes, and instantly he was like, "Well, that's a sitcom, you know? That's hilarious." <laughs> Falling over, yeah. always funny. And, yeah. and it never occurred to me, and that was similar to my time when I worked in waste management mm-hmm. i laughed every time every day of that job as well it's hilarious teaching adults how to ride bikes teaching kids how to ride bikes we used to do this thing with kids where we'd have like a call and response so bonnet pizza so we'd be like what happens if you don't look over your shoulder bonnet pizza you know i mean it's, it's hilarious <laughs> so it's you know i'm I, so I'm now that's what i'm working on now that's my august project because i'm not going to edinburgh so now i've said it i've put it on the podcast i've got to, i've got to finish that now Literally, yeah. we're all waiting to see it now. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that would be the next one you guys get, I think. Yeah. Well, you, you can it. have a go yeah. with me, Athena, because I have never, ever been able to ride. Really? Again. And I try, don't think I don't try. It's I try a lot, but I always end up in a bush. Sorry, what? Stabilizers. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go around as a grown adult with stabilizers. No, you can't. You want to start somewhere. That, literally. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a tip. Riding a bike is not about balance. It's about coordination. Balance is part of it. I thought you were going to say self-belief. No, no. Well, you, you have self, self-belief. And also, most people don't know how to use brakes. They ram the brakes hard. You've got to squeeze the brakes slowly. And it's about coordination. And that's, the, that's one tip I'll leave you with. Otherwise, we'll be talking for hours about it. But adults tend to be hard to teach because I think it's about balance. And they're trying to balance. But it's momentum that gives, keeps you upright. Balance will keep you upright. Balance is like, you're not a tightrope walker. You're riding a bike. It's physics. My family is still are still laughing about the time the last time that I tried to ride a bike, which was round a, a lake. Oh, terrible idea! Oh God, who's very high stakes? <laughs> but, well, I didn't end up in the lake, so you know, don't go there. But I did, out of panic, steer into a large man without a top on, and ended up driving straight into his very fat and naked stomach. So that is still laughed about in my family. Yeah, I mean that's going in the sitcom. Um, Thank you. But, uh, yeah. Enjoy. But are you, I, I see it. I, I can't help steering towards it. What's wrong with me? It, it's not it's something wrong with me, isn't there? I don't know. Well, it's mad. lakes around and steering's really hard when you're learning, which is why a lake is a bad idea. Also, you want a slight gradient so you don't have to have the coordination because you're going forward because of the um, momentum from the okay. gravity, right? So yeah, that's it. why lakes are terrible because they're flat. There's a, t- there's a science to it, man. People don't realise how hard it is. There's a science I, to it. Yeah. I, I mean, you've given us all the rules of sitcom. Now you've given us the rules of bike riding. Female, We're getting so much value out of Female Cycling yeah. Club. Let's start it. Let's start oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is so great. So anyway, um, Athena, you, of course, are in the Female Pilot Club now. It's very exclusive. We don't let just anyone in. We let everyone in. Everyone, <laughs> literally everyone yeah. can get in. But you are in it. Yes. Um, and we would like to ask you, uh, who else would you like to nominate uh, to be in the club? So this is someone, I don't know if she writes scripts. I genuinely don't. She's a stand-up. Um, it's Yuriko Kutani. Okay. And her voice is just amazing. Every time she performs stand-up, I think, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but just the storytelling she has and her angles are just so brilliant. And every time I see her, I think, I just love her position on things and also just her personality. So in terms of we are in this writer-performer world and I just think she'd be really funny. It's the lead in the sitcom as well, just her personality. So no idea she writes, but she's somebody. Can I have another one too? Go on. Um, Go on, have two. Michelle DeSwart should have a sitcom, shouldn't she? I mean, I know she's acting in one in Sky on Sky right now and she's done bits on Netflix and stuff, but I think she'd be great as kind of 
you know, front that and centre. do you know she writes? No idea. That's you literally are just no calling idea. out I'm these women to write, I'm just saying random people. <laughs> but I do, I, I love getting into scripts. It's given me so much, you know. Um, and I love, I think one of the things we can do is, is encourage people to write as mm-hmm. well. Definitely. Um, yeah. Definitely. You know, and, and, le- on, and learn how to write, especially in a, you know, in a very crowded stand-up scene. It's weird. I'm contradicting myself by saying, fine, write, you don't perform. But now I'm telling all the performers, write. Uh, <laughs> so it isn't going to work really in the long run. But it, I, I think those two people, I think I would definitely watch them if they were front and centre of a lovely, lovely sitcom, for sure. Brilliant. Great choices. Thank you, Athena. Amazing. So, well, yeah, ladies, if you heard your names there, please start writing. And send it to Female Pilot Club first, please. Well, that sound means it's time for us to suck up the dregs, take one last trip to the biffy before we bail. But we'll be back to take another female pilot upstairs to exploit the wide poo yonder of the UK comedy commissioning landscape. Blue, Kate, you mean blue. I know what I mean, Emily. Right, goodbye and thanks to our guest, Athena Kublenu, and goodbye from Female Pilot Club. Why not follow us at Female Pilot Club on Twitter and Insta? The script was written by Kay Stonham and the show was produced by Emily Chase and Kay Stonham. It was edited and technically produced by Adam Bromley with music composed by Tim Sutton. If you enjoyed the show, please do like, subscribe, share and review. Until next time, up and away. Up and away.